KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, August 13th. San Diego's census data. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. As coronavirus infections increase in San Diego, so are hospitalizations. A month ago, there were about 100 coronavirus hospitalizations countywide. It's now topping out at more than 500. Andrea Muir is a registered nurse and a union rep at Sharp Memorial Hospital. She's asking for the public's help to reduce the burden on the hospital system. Make sure that we have sufficient staff to take care of people that need us. And the way that you do that is by doing your part. And if all you can do for this pandemic is making sure you're distancing and masking and getting vaccinated if you possibly can, then that's what you need to do. Meanwhile, San Diego County is opening four new COVID-19 testing sites. One of them opened on Thursday at the North County Lifeline in Vista. Sites at the Lemon Grove Senior Center and Northgate Market are also open. A fourth site will open on Sunday at the Border View YMCA. The city of Coronado's public pool reopened on Thursday after having to close for a couple of weeks because of a shortage of chlorine. Coronado's Director of Recreation and Golf Services, Roger Miller, says they were able to get enough chlorine by combining suppliers. He says things are good for now, but there's no promises if the pool will stay open. You just never know. Things uh, have been changing day to day, and of course there's always been supply chain issues, um, and that's been part of the problem with the suppliers as well. Uh, There's been a fire at one of their plants uh, back in the summertime, and so we just play it day by day at this point. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. After months of delay, the U.S. Census finally released its first batch of 2020 demographic data. States and cities rely on these numbers to draw new congressional district boundaries. The numbers also determine the allocation of hundreds of billions of dollars of federal aid to communities across the country. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim has more on what the data shows for San Diego. In San Diego County, the white population is shrinking, but it still makes up the largest racial and ethnic group. Latinx people are the second largest group. That's according to new demographic data from the U.S. Census. Overall, the state and the country are becoming increasingly diverse, with California ranking as the second most diverse state behind Hawaii. Across the country, the white population is shrinking and the multiracial population has almost quadrupled since the last census in 2010. But tracking these types of demographic changes is difficult because race and ethnicity were counted differently in 2020. Nicholas Jones is the director of race and ethnic research for the U.S. Census. He says it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. It is important to note that these comparisons between the 2020 census and 2010 census race data should be made with caution taking into account the improvements we have made to the Hispanic origin and race questions, data processing, and the ways we code what people tell us. 
Researchers and community members also worry about the accuracy of the data. Nancy Maldonado is the president and CEO of the Chicano Federation here in San Diego. She says Latinos could be undercounted. One of the questions that we got a lot when we were doing outreach is, why do I have to check the white box? Um, and, and that definitely threw people off. And I think some of the early results that we've seen come back from the census revealed that a lot of people actually didn't answer that question. Census officials have repeatedly said the data is accurate. The numbers will now be used by states, counties and cities to draw new district boundaries for future elections. But the California Citizens Redistricting Commission isn't able to start drawing new maps quite yet. So says Encinitas resident Patricia Senai, one of the commissioners. We're waiting for the statewide database to kind of, you know, prepare the current data that we received today. And that's the data that will be used not only by the state redistricting efforts, but by local and, and, and county redistricting efforts. Sinai expects the commission to start drafting maps by October in preparation for California's 2022 election. In the meantime, they're holding public meetings to hear community voices, not just look at numbers. And that was KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim. The California Citizen Redistricting Commission is hosting a community meeting for San Diego and Imperial County today at 3 p.m. To participate, visit www.wedrawthelinesca.org. A Chula Vista business owner says his parklet or outdoor dining area was unfairly targeted for removal, while his neighbors kept theirs. KPBS's Melissa May has more. Third Avenue in Chula Vista is lined with businesses, including the Chula Vista Brewery. While others have parklets with additional outside seating, Chula Vista Brewery does not. Owner Timothy Parker took it down earlier this week under orders from the city. Now he's pursuing a claim against the city, saying he was treated unfairly. Yeah, I just really want to ask the city to be fair and treat every business equally and give us all the fighting chance to survive. Parker had previously purchased a permit back in August 2020. The claim states the city has unlawfully demanded the business to remove its outdoor curbside and sidewalk seating areas that were in place for approximately one year. Attorney Cliff Dover filed the claim on Parker's behalf. There were other businesses up and down 3rd Avenue here that were told that their, uh, their outdoor seating arrangements were grandfathered in. However, uh, the Chula Vista Brewery was not afforded that same uh, accommodation, and we just want to know why. Just down the block from Chula Vista Brewery, Three Punk Ales has a parklet of its own. Kevin Lewis is a co-owner and the head brewer. We're good friends with T Tim and all of them. Um, we always help them out wh where we can. It's an unfortunate situation. Dover says Chula Vista Mayor Mary Salas and the city attorney have agreed to meet with Parker in the next couple of days. He hopes that a resolution can be reached and Chula Vista Brewery can put its parklet back up. And that was KPBS's Melissa May. Cathedral Catholic High School was set to reopen for in-person learning this past Monday, but COVID-19 cases among staff had them postpone the reopening. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more. No one has become symptomatic yet. And uh, we just don't want to start school off on, on the wrong foot. Out of what they call an abundance of caution, Cathedral Catholic's first day of school has been delayed for one week. 
A notice was sent to parents Wednesday stating that due to a COVID-19 related situation that has affected multiple stakeholders on campus, we have no other choice than to delay the start of school. Kevin Eckery, the spokesperson of the Diocese of San Diego, confirmed to KPBS that a staff member had tested positive following a staff orientation. That person has no symptoms, but they had contact with several others. On the advice of the County Health Department, the school determined 10 additional staff needed to isolate. And then in the course of isolating the 10 people, um, there simply wasn't enough uh, of the right staff to open school on time. Eckery says their new start date is Monday, August 23rd. However, in-person orientation for new students will go on as planned this coming Tuesday. Eckery says he has full confidence that the school year will be a successful one. He tells us that last year they had fewer than 200 positive cases out of the 15,000 students attending Catholic schools in the diocese. But only four people um, managed to catch COVID at school. So all the work we were doing with social distancing, with hand washing, with masks and everything else really paid off. About 20 schools under the diocese are scheduled to start school Monday. Eckery says COVID measures will remain at the forefront. He also tells us they are following the state's new vaccine policy and encouraging all staff to get vaccinated. And I can't think of a more Christian or Catholic thing to do than to keep the needs of friends and family and, and vulnerable strangers in mind, as well as every individual's. And that reporting from KPBS's Alexander Ronhell. San Diego County voters will soon be receiving mail ballots for the September 14th recall election. They'll be voting on whether to boot Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom from the office. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen explains how the vote will work and what's at stake for the Golden State. Simply put, recall elections in California are weird, unlike any other regular election. Voters will have two questions on their ballots. The first is a yes or no. Should Governor Newsom be kicked out of office? The second question is who should replace him if a majority supports the recall? So let's say a majority votes no on the recall, meaning they want Newsom to stay. Then the second question doesn't matter. But if a majority votes yes on the recall, then whoever gets the most votes in the second question becomes governor. So there is a scenario where Newsom could get, say, 5 million votes to stay governor, but 5 million and one voters want him out. Newsom leaves office, and the candidate with the most votes takes over, even if that person got fewer votes than Newsom. Like I said, recalls are weird. One of the most important things going into the recall is recognizing that it's off cycle. And when it's off cycle, meaning non-presidential, there's going to be low voter turnout. Sonia Diaz is the founding director of the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. She says the weirdness of the recall election, it's not just an odd year, it's also in mid-September, will likely discourage less frequent voters from casting ballots. Now, that may be normal for some who have been voting in California for years and years. But as it relates to our youthful, diverse voters, that's new and novel. And there's going to need to be a concerted effort to educate voters about how to vote, how to participate, how to make sense of this ballot. Polls have consistently shown that more California voters oppose the recall than support it. But among voters who are likely to cast ballots, the split is almost even. 
That's because of the enthusiasm gap. Diaz says Republicans are thrilled about the chance to take control of the country's most populous state and a Democratic stronghold. And so ultimately, that can be really exciting for that segment of voters. But that is not the universe of California voters. And so what's really important to understand here is turnout. Turnout is going to dictate the outcome of September 14th. Another strange thing about this election is how the candidates are campaigning. By the way, there are 46 of them, plus Newsom. The governor has avoided direct engagement with the leading replacement candidates, all of whom are Republicans. And UCSD political science professor Thad Kauser says those Republican candidates aren't bothering to appeal to the political center like they would in a general election. All the Republican candidates have correctly diagnosed that this is a race they can win with 20% of the vote, right? You just have to stand out among Republicans. And the way to do that is by continuing to embrace Donald Trump, which they all have, by by attacking things such as critical race theory and all these sort of new culture war bogeymen. If the recall is successful and a Republican takes over the governorship, the big question is how that would impact California politics. Democrats would still hold a veto-proof majority in the legislature, and that Republican governor would still face a tough re-election campaign just one year later. Kauser calls this scenario a one-year political earthquake. It'll be a proof of concept that Republicans can win and that, that, that Donald Trump messaging and rallying the base right, can win in the, the bluest of blue states. Also, the governor does have immense control over public health policies, things like vaccine and mask mandates, which the leading Republican candidates oppose. Newsom and his allies have raised more than twice as much as all of his opponents combined, according to the LA Times. But to save his political career, he'll have to translate that money into democratic enthusiasm. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. Coming up, skateboarding debuted as an Olympic sport this year. The event included many skateboarders who live in or are from San Diego. But how has it grown from the beginning of skateboarding in the 70s until now? Skateboarding is a global phenomenon. And that, to me, that's what the Olympics did. It really um, put skateboarding on a global stage. More on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Olympic Park Skateboarding debuted this year, and the event featured many current or former San Diegans. Gold medalist 18-year-old Keegan Palmer represented Australia, but he's a San Diego native, as is bronze medalist Corey Juno. Frank Nasworthy is an inventor and entrepreneur and one of skateboarding's first innovators. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. Here's that interview. What was it like for you, you who saw the beginnings of skateboarding here in the 70s, to see the sport in the Olympics? What I saw were some very talented skateboarders skating on magnificent terrain that everybody wishes they could be afforded. And seeing that the same joy that 
they were having that everybody that enjoys the sport being at YMCA's or on the street or in your driveway or wherever they are have. And it was really great to see it put on an international level in a way that people could really understand the, um, the dynamics of skateboarding. And can you tell us a little bit about the history of skateboarding, especially about the connection between skateboarding and surfing? It's complicated. I think as a a youngster, I I was uh, 12 years old in the era of Beach Boys and that era of surfing. We were out picking apart metal skates, putting them on two by fours, trying to find something to emulate what we saw in the media. Always for me, skateboarding was a substitute for surfing. I think the similarities are, are very strong between the two and skateboarding extends further to allow that sort of exhilaration and playing with gravity and rolling and such to people all over the world, not just those fortunate enough to live on a coast. Now, Frank, you made a major innovation in those early days of skateboarding by introducing a new type of polyurethane wheel. How did that change skateboarding? I liken it to if you want to drive a car with a wooden wheel or you drive a car with a rubber wheel. Literally, that would be almost the difference. How do today's skateboards that are even more innovative, how do they stack up against those early models? Um, there's some big improvements, but overall, it's the same tracks. It's, it's the same terrain and height off the ground. It was amazing to me that 50 years later, it was the same form factor size wheel that they're using now as we did back then. The wheels are a little bit better. Manufacturing processes have gotten better and the wheels have no sharp edges. And they, But we're literally looking at pretty much from 25 feet away, the same look. If you get real close, some, a lot of the stuff is made a lot better today. But um, the position the skateboarders are relative to the ground is re- relatively unchanged. Now, you organized the first skateboarding competition in Encinitas, and of course, that's the home to many professional and Olympic skateboarders. Can you tell us what that first competition was like? I was a promoter. The YMCA in Encinitas was the one that that organized that first contest. And they're actually the same organization here in Encinitas that has some of these really advanced skate parks and trains for skaters today. But this was a skate, a skate contest that consisted of a small slalom course for speed. You started out on a little hill, rode down a little hill into an area and zipped between cones for timing and who was first and freestyle. The freestyle is very much different. And 50 years ago, people were doing like gymnastics on skateboards, you know, handstands and hands on your board and sitting in an L shape and things like that much like you would see gymnast, gymnasts doing, whereas now it's more of a dynamic skateboarding and getting aerials and such. But at the time, it was slalom and freestyle held in a parking lot of a, of a community pool. So our, our, park, our park took place um, on a small community street next to the community pool where we, and we used the parking lot and the small hill, a small hill around it to have the train that we needed to have a contest. Now, the Olympics featured two skateboarding events, park and street. Is it fair to say San Diego was better known for park skateboarding more than street? Um, Hard to say because um, 
For myself, I was a street skater. I was not jumping up and sliding down railings. We were what we call soul skating, taking a hill and slaloming back and forth as a skier may do on a mountain. But what San Diego does is it has it has a tremendous amount of uh, manufactured terrain. And I think that that's one of the reasons that there's many skaters attracted to the area because there's so much both public and private um, radical terrain to skate that was made for skating and not just terrain that just happens to be amenable. Now, skateboarding is and always has been dominated by young white guys. And I'm wondering, is that demographic changing? Is the sport opening up? I think that is that is not a reflection of what's happening in the world. Um, uh, after skateboarding, I was fortunate enough to become an engineer and traveled around the world and it always amazed me wherever I would go into into developing areas of the world where there were skaters skating um, sidewalks and streets wherever you go um, all colors and all sizes and it's something that I think is much more universal than people realize. The guys that won medals at the Olympics all talked about the special vibe that comes from the skateboarding community in San Diego. Can you describe that? What is it about San Diego that makes it such a skateboarding hub? Um, Well, the weather is one. I've been places where um, rain takes its toll on the amount of skateboarding you can do in any given day. So, um, but I think that skateboarding, it's a place where there were a lot of innovative people and people doing things that other people hadn't discovered yet. Skateboarding is a global phenomenon. And that, to me, that's what the Olympics did. It really um, put skateboarding on a global stage. And I think you're going to see the results of that in the coming years. And that was Frank Nasworthy, inventor and entrepreneur, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. And that's it for the podcast today. Tomorrow, we'll have a special bonus episode of the podcast featuring KPBS's summer music series. In the meantime, be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.